The scripture comes from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're in a series of messages called Manifesto, and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount together. And uh, Last week we looked at uh, this idea of having treasure in heaven. And, and uh, the concept we're looking at today kind of tags onto that. And, and he says, you know, basically as he gets into it, that, um, you know, that, 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 that this idea of treasure tends to lean us toward anxious thoughts. And so he talks about anxiety. So that's what we're going to look at today. And as I was thinking about uh, this topic, uh, I couldn't uh, help to think about a recent uh, thing that happened in my household. <clears throat> so here's how it went down. <clears throat> my, uh, my kids were begging for a pet. Any parents, uh, can you relate with that? Your kids are begging for a pet, and you know that if you get the pet, you're taking it's your pet, right? I mean, you know that's going to happen. That's just how it happens. And so they're begging for a pet, and Megan is allergic to uh, animals. Uh, so we uh, broke down and got the safest pet that we could think of, a fish. A few fish, uh, rather. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's impossible to keep those little tanks clean. You know what I'm talking about? So, we, you know, we had got a snail, and the, the snail didn't make it too long. I think the tank was too dirty. And then, uh, and then we found out about these things called sucker fish. I don't know what the, the real term is, but that's what we call them, the sucker fish. The sucker fish, if you're unfamiliar, is this fish that basically cleans up all of the things on the bottom of the tank and the algae and all that kind of stuff. It's actually pretty amazing because I no longer had to clean the tank. The fish cleaned the tank for me. But what you do have to do with this little fish tank is you have to refill it with water uh, pretty often. And so we were, um, you know, we're going to be out of town for a couple of days. So I made sure to fill the tank uh, up with water, doing my usual thing. And the, uh, right after we got home, Maggie, our two and a half year old, comes out of her room, and the fish tank's kind of in the hallway next to her room. And she goes, Where's sucker fish? You know, she's asking, Where is the sucker fish? You know, it's. It's an important fish in the tank, and uh, we just thought she couldn't see it, and so we didn't think anything of it. And, uh, you know, later on that day, we realized, okay, the sucker fish is really missing. So I'm thinking in my mind, there's one of two things that could happen, okay? The most likely thing that could happen is the boys somehow have taken the fish out of the tank. 
But the, the most unlikely thing happened. I kid you not, this fish climbed out of the tank. Somehow, some way. I don't know how it happened. Jumped out, slithered out. I'm not sure. But we pull out the laundry basket behind the fish tank and we realize there, there lie hungry, hungry hippo, our sucker fish. And he's lying down there, and of course he's not alive anymore. He's a fish out of water. And so, you know, what I, what I think about that is, you know, that sucker fish somehow thought that it would be better to be out of the water than in the water. And how many times is that our lives? We think that if we were in a different set of circumstances, if we were in a different life, or we had things that we don't yet have, that our lives would be better. And this is exactly what Jesus is addressing uh, with, this, with this sermon today. So here's my question for you as we get in. How often do we see God in the Bible telling us to plan for and be concerned with the future? How often? I mean, you've got, you know, you know if there's no vision, the people will perish. And then there's the, the proverb about the ant that stores up in the winter. Uh, but tell me anywhere else in the Bible, there's not really a lot of evidence there. Yet, if you're anything like me, those thoughts consume most of my time. And what Jesus is saying here is that it shouldn't be that way. That's what he's, that's what he's saying with this kind of illustration that he draws up here. So here's the big idea of where we're going today with Matthew 6. If I could sum it up into one statement, it would be this. The best way to plan for tomorrow is to trust Jesus today. So what I want to do with this sermon is I want to break down Matthew 6 and I want to look at kind of three points of where it takes us by answering this question, what is anxiety? The first thing that anxiety is is that it's future-oriented. So it's always concerned with tomorrow. The second thing it is is that it's faith-resistant. It's always trying to make things happen in its own strength. And lastly, it's a thief of rest because it never allows us to stop and get off the hamster wheel of worry. So that's where we're going to go today. <clears throat> so what does anxiety feel like? We don't really need a description of what it feels like, right? We know what it feels like. It's the feeling <clears throat> that you have when there's a conflict in a relationship that you're in and it's unresolved. You know, your stomach kind of turns over because you want a different outcome than what you're experiencing in that relationship. It's the, it's the feeling of financial pressure when you look at the bank account and you don't think there's enough in there to, to pay the bills that month. Uh, it's the feeling of knowing, you know, if you're a student or, or you're in an academic pathway, um, it's the feeling of knowing that you've given it your all and it wasn't enough. It's that feeling. It's, it's the feeling uh, that you have um, when one of your children that you have raised in the faith seems to be going down a path that doesn't look like the best path. It causes this anxiety inside of us. It's the feeling of not having a marriage that looks like your friend's marriage. It's not this fairy tale marriage. It's a struggle. It's a grind. It causes us to be anxious. So the first thing that Jesus talks about is how that anxiety is always future related. So let's, let's read this again real quick. It's Matthew 6.25-27. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. And then he asks this question, Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothing? Then he paints two pictures here. He says this, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow... <clears throat> nor, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Somehow they always have enough. Uh, are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? 
Consider the birds. He go on to say, consider the lilies. How carefree they are and how, bountiful, how bountifully God provides for them. Are you not of more value than they? Does God not care for His image bearers more than He cares for animals that He's created? You know the answer to that, right? He cares for us. He loves us. He provides for us. But yet, somehow, some way, we're always preoccupied with tomorrow. Uh, J.C. Ryle, who is this Anglican bishop from the early 1800s, he, he, he summed it up pretty well. He said it like this, Tomorrow is the devil's day. But today is God's. Satan cares not how spiritual your intentions may be and how holy your resolutions, if only they are fixed for tomorrow. Oh, give not place to the devil in this matter. Answer him, no, Satan. It shall be today, today. One of, one of the things that happened whenever I helped plant this church in Las Vegas is I was living with this family. And, um, you know, th- this family was crazy. I mean, this guy... This guy had three kids at the time, and he, uh, he went out to help plant a church. He didn't have a job or anything. He moves his family out there and just is seeking for God to provide. And somehow he has room for this, you know, this scraggling along 19-year-old boy to live in his house too. And so that was me. And uh, so one day I'm, I'm at his house, and I, you know, they just said, hey, whatever's in the fridge, it's yours. There's your room. Whatever you need. And so one day I go to the refrigerator and I open it, and you know, like on the shelf in the refrigerator, there's like condiments. Like that was all that was in the fridge that day, okay? I opened it up, that was it. And I was like, oh, okay. Mustard and ketchup sandwich, sounds great. And so, um, but then I go to ask Ty, hey Ty, what's up man, what's going on? He's like, hey man, the money ran out. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this guy going to do? He's got three kids, he's got a wife. How is he going to provide? And you know, it's so funny, he was at such peace and it just, it amazed me. And, and you know, like the next day, he got a full-time job at the church that he had moved out to help plan. It's just amazing how God provides time and time again like that. But, but so many times, we're just so focused on tomorrow that we can't really even live in the now today. You know, Tim Keller said that anxiety was like, <clears throat> he says like this, it's, it, it's like smoke that we can follow down to a burning idol that we've based our lives on that's now collapsing. So think about that. Anxiety is the symptom of a deeper disease of self-trust. And self-trust manifests itself by trying to procure safety, security, provision for future days. If I just had enough in the bank to get me through tomorrow, I would be good. And then it's next month, and then next year, and then retirement. And we, we think on and we let that play out over and over and over again, and it causes us to be anxious. In fact, the word anxiety in the Greek is this word merino, and it, and it means... Uh, literally, to be pulled apart from the whole. So, so let that image sit with you for a second. To be pulled apart from the whole. To be in pieces. That's what anxiety is. That's what's happening inside of us when we find ourselves with, with anxious thoughts. It happens to followers of Jesus when, when the object of our faith and our trust are kind of two different things, and our loyalties within are divided. What happens to our souls? We go into pieces. There's no such thing as rest. There's no such thing as peace. There's no such thing as the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our lives because we are so concerned for another day. I think about uh, Stretch Armstrong when I think about this. Okay? It's probably like only the second time you're ever going to hear me talk about Stretch Armstrong. If you're unfamiliar with Stretch Armstrong, here's a picture of him. He was like a prized 
possession when I was in elementary school, okay? This guy was, I mean, if you had him, you were the stuff. It was great. And so Stretch Armstrong, the, the idea of him was he was this wrestler, and, and you, could, you could literally pull him apart, and then you would let go, and he would come back together. So a few friends of mine and I got this idea that we thought that we could defeat Stretch Armstrong. And so what we did was we had, we had one guy in the middle uh, kind of kind of holding stretch there and then two guys on the arms and we just let that thing rip I and mean, we just went as far as we could and we're like all the way across the room holding on to stretch armstrong and finally the inevitable happened stretch armstrong exploded into this nasty soupy syrupy goop that went all over my friend's bedroom it was, I mean, it was disgusting like corn syrup or something on the inside of it but but let that picture sit with you that's what's happening when anxiety is having a run in your life. You're coming apart from the inside. And Jesus has come to make you whole. With our words, we say we trust God. With our actions, we say we trust ourselves. And our loyalties are divided from the inside out. And the best way to not be anxious is to resist the temptation altogether. I think it's, 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 a, it's a battle that's fought through prayer and in the mind more than anything else. When, when, when the temptation comes to, to be concerned, overly concerned with tomorrow, what do you do with it? Do you take the hook? Do you let it sit in your mouth? And do you, and do you, do you just run with it? Or do you give it to God in prayer? And say, God, I can't control tomorrow. As Jesus says, tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. What does it look like for you, church, right now to live in today? To be so present with Jesus this morning. Not that you're irresponsible, but that you're focused today. And each morning that you wake up, there's this focus for today. Because you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. You never know how many days you have left. You never know what you might be missing today because you're so focused on tomorrow. And Jesus says, you've just got to stop. Now it's hard to just, when someone says, hey, just stop being anxious, that doesn't help, does it? It doesn't help us at all. So what Jesus goes on to say here is that He actually does something about our anxiety in the Gospel. So let's keep, let's keep uh, pressing on in this. So, so, so the second thing that, that anxiety is, is first it's, it's, it's focused on tomorrow. The second thing, it's faith resistant. So Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6.28-30, uh, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? And then He says something that's really powerful. He says, you of little faith. So, so we get the worry that... the. He gives two examples. He talks about food and the birds, and he talks about clothing and the lilies. And he says, "Look, they're they're be they're beautiful and they're fed, and they don't even care about it." You know, that's what he's saying. And he says, basically, the problem that we're having is not a circumstance problem; it's a faith problem. It's a it's a malfunction of our faith through buying into the lies that unbelief presents to us. So, so when unbelief gets the best of us, he's saying that it shows itself in our lives as anxiety. Like the, the smoke comes before the fire that I share. It's showing itself. It's, it's manifesting itself in anxiety to us. He tempts us to think about the unknown circumstances of tomorrow and it steals the joy that comes from enjoying Jesus today. 
you know, this is why I think that, you're going to think I'm crazy for saying this, this is why I think that anxiety is actually kind of this blessing in, dis, in disguise. It's kind of this gracious gift that God gives us. I mean, because what kind of God would He be if He let us just, just go on in our anxiety and just say, hey, that's the way it is. To go on in our unbelief and say that's the way it is. But instead, we become anxious. And you know why we become anxious? Because we were made for a different way of living. And so when anxiety creeps up in us, and our, our stomach turns to knots, and we can't figure out what's next, that is, that's like a check engine light on your dashboard saying, whoa, 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 something's going wrong. And it's an opportunity for us to stop and to ask God, how can I trust You fully in this moment? How can I believe that You are the God who provides all things and will care for me and give me joy? D. D Martin Lloyd-Jones basically said the same thing. He says, worry is always a failure to grasp and apply our faith. So it's always an issue of unbelief going on inside of us when it creeps up, when you worry, when you have anxious thoughts. You know, the Bible teaches that, that faith is a gift in, in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, it's, not, it's not earned or manufactured. It's not something you can conjure up through effort. It's a gift. But when you receive the gift of faith, the gift of faith must be exercised. Right? It's like a muscle that has to be exercised. Uh, think about uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5 7. Uh, Paul says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. So let's just think about that on a real practical level. So we want to be able to figure out life. And so we take the steps that we need to take. Uh, and, and, and what that looks like is, is we, we do whatever, whatever we see coming next and we think about, we try to project out the steps that we need to take. We try to have kind of this vision for what our lives will look like. And we try to, try to manufacture those things. In the culture of the self-made man around us, which is what America is kind of built on if we're honest, uh, says this, live how you want. There's no right or, or wrong. Just enjoy life. And, and this is what we walk into uh, t- that tempts us to believe those lies every single day. That if we just do those things, if we just, if we just, if we just live a happy life, we just kind of do it our way, then we'll be great. That's living, that's walking by sight. When, when, we, when we attempt to do that. But Jesus says we have to learn to walk by faith. And what he said about how we are to live is more true uh, than than we than we think uh, we see. So, so we think seeing uh, is believing, but actually, what Jesus is saying is believing is actually seeing. So, if you if you think about that for a second, to walk by faith is to say that to to, to believe that the most true and real thing about you is your faith in Jesus and what it produces in your life. It's actually what we see around us is a facade compared to that. Now that's a hard sell, isn't it? It's a hard sell to believe that. But Jesus is saying that the, the way that we live is we walk by faith. And the way that we walk by faith is we have to exercise the muscle of faith that He has implanted in us when we call upon His name. This is why Paul says things like this. Fight the good fight of the faith. It, it sure seems like there's some effort involved in having faith. That it's not this completely passive thing. Now we receive it passively, but we have to exercise that. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight of the faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Church, the, the, the race is for us to keep the faith. To exercise the faith. And, and we see that the only, 
The only unforgivable sin in the Bible is unbelief. And yet we tiptoe into it every time that we choose to let ourselves become anxious. I'm not saying that's the unforgivable sin, but I'm just saying we tiptoe toward that every time that we choose to live in unbelief. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't uh, chemical imbalances and medical conditions that, that add to the, the, the anxiety picture. I'm not, I'm not dismissing those things. What I'm saying is most of the time, there are issues of unbelief in our hearts. So what's an appropriate response to our faith-resistant nature? Jesus says, okay, here it is. Let me make this really simple for you. What is your, what is your role? What is your job today as My people? To seek first the Kingdom of Heaven. And then all of these things will be added to you. Everything that you need, everything that you desire that fits within the will of God will be added to you. But if you come at it from the other angle, you can't just bolt on faith as you get moving. He's saying seek first the Kingdom of God. So the very first thing that we need to be looking at is what does this mean in light of the Kingdom of God? What does this job decision mean in light of the Kingdom of God? What what is this family situation, this unresolved conflict, whatever it is that is producing anxiety inside of you, how does the Kingdom of God relate to that? Where is unbelief present in my life? And what does the Gospel say about that? Because here's the reality. Here's... Here's how you can have comfort uh, even, even knowing that you have these times that you're tempted to get anxious is that Jesus actually dealt with anxiety on the cross. You remember we talked about this idea of what anxiety means. It means to be pulled apart. Well, on the cross of Calvary, what happened is that Jesus' body was torn apart to pieces so that you could be put back together in the Gospel. To be made whole. To be reunited with your Father in Heaven through the work of His Son and the application of that work through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus came to do to be pulled apart on your behalf. So why are you getting on the cross all over again when you're anxious? That's what He's saying to us right here. What's it look like for you to trust Him in that this week? Much of our lives we don't experience this wholeness because... We don't let the power of the cross, the power of the Gospel, handle our unbelief. Jesus gladly bears it for us on the cross. So what's it look like for you this week to apply the gift of faith, to exercise the gift of faith, to fight the temptation of unbelief that surrounds you to be anxious in the world? What would it look like for you this week? Maybe you, maybe you need to, to kind of set that conversation aside, or, or maybe you need to, to stop frantically checking your bank account. Okay, I don't know what it looks like for you to trust Jesus today. But, but in not doing so, in, in continuing on the path of worry and anxiety, you're actually doing harm to your soul is what Jesus is saying. Because you, you can't live in the joy that He has for you today because you're so preoccupied with what might be. He goes on to say this in Matthew 6.31, basically that anxiety or, or worry is a thief of rest. So, this is what he says in Matthew 6:31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. He's basically saying that, that those who don't even believe in me, I'm not even on their radar, they seek these things. <clears throat> and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to your life. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own worry. Here's what I want you to hear about this. Jesus really cares about you. We worry because we don't think that Jesus actually loves us and in turn cares for us. That's why we worry. Jesus actually cares about your life. Did you, did you hear what He said? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God loves you so much that He sent His Son to care for your needs so that you wouldn't have to worry. You know, there's that saying, you know, pray and let God worry. I think Martin Luther or somebody said that. Um, that's a good, it's a good statement. What's it look like to really grab on to the fact that God really loves you? That He has done everything to provide for you eternally and today with everything that you need for life and for godliness. Our worry and our, and our anxiety are, are connected to, be, to, to our desire to be, uh, to, to be cared for and to be valued. P Peter says this in his epistle, First uh, Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 6 and 7, he says, <clears throat> Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And how, how do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that we can be exalted in eternity? How do we do that? And he gives us the answer. He says it looks like this, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Anybody ever been fishing before? You know, the first time you get the fishing rod, it's, I'm talking about one of those little Zepco, the button pushing, you know, one of those deals. You know, you first are learning how to fish, and so you grab the fishing pole, and you try to cast it, and what's the first thing that happens on your first try? It goes nowhere, right? It drops down or it goes in a tree or something. Something crazy happens, right? And you know why that happens? It's because you're not letting go of the button when you cast it. How much of our prayer is actually not letting go, casting our anxiety on Jesus? It's really kind of just acknowledging that it's there and keeping it for ourselves, trying to handle it ourselves. And we do that because we don't believe that God actually cares for us and that He actually has the plan that will care for our deepest longings and needs. That's why we hang on to it. Our cast doesn't let go. It's just hanging on to the net. And in prayer, we just kind of revoke it back. He says, cast all of your anxiety on Him and you can do that because He cares for you. He has, he has your best interest in mind. And He knows what's best for you. And you often do not know what's best for you. And so you'll avoid things that He's actually pressing into your life to make you more like His Son. Cast all your anxiety onto Him because He cares for you. And the only way to walk in victory through the temptations of anxiety and worry is to believe that Jesus cares more about you than you could ever care for yourself. And to let that permeate your mind and your thinking and your life. And to let that be the most real thing about you. Hey, I don't know what, 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 what's going to come about financially tomorrow. I don't know what's going to come about in that relationship. But hey, here's what I know. That Jesus loves me and He's given me everything to live. Wouldn't that just settle your heart? If we could just grab that and just believe that this morning. It's not this magic bullet. We have to exercise faith to actually believe that that's real. But the bait of anxiety for us is this. If I don't look out for myself, who will? Right? You've been stabbed in the back before. You've been taken advantage of before. You sleep with one eye open now, you know? Because we take this bait that if we don't take care of ourselves, who will? 
And the reality is, is that Jesus cares far more about our well-being than we do. Now sometimes He may redefine what well-being actually is, right? But He cares more about it than you do. Because He made you. St. Augustine said this once, You have made us for Yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in You. You have a restless heart this morning, church. A heart that, that can't seem to take a day off, that can't seem to put the phone down, that can't seem to get away from the computer, that, that can't seem to actually be present with other people. It's the symptoms of a restless heart. It's the symptoms of a heart that is anxious. It's the symptoms of a heart that has unbelief lying at the middle of it. And Jesus says, come to Me. He says, come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden. And what is His promise for us? That He will give us rest. Jesus wants to give you rest in the middle of the storm, whatever it is for you this morning. Let's pray to that end. Jesus, we just confess to You this morning that that there's way more unbelief in us than we even know. But that that has not kept You from loving us. Father, that has not kept You from sending Jesus. In fact, the Scriptures say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the act of sin, He was being pulled apart on the cross for us. So, God, we come to You today and we ask that we would believe that You care for us. That You value us. That You've provided for us. And that You'll never stop doing that from now throughout eternity. And God, we ask that that would change the way that we look at life. God, I pray for this church. For us. God, I pray that we would be the most present people in our workplaces. The most present fathers around the dinner table with their kids. The most present wives with their husbands. The most present friends possible that we would live in today, not in a reckless way, but in such a spiritually present way that You would build the Kingdom through our lives and through our families and through this collection of individuals that makes up New City Church. God, would You build Your Kingdom? It's in the name of Christ that we pray this morning. Amen.